this is a free download from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at the Bank St. Sampson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. call us when they have an emergency. It's not a regular thing, but when they have a family in need, they ring us and we're able to provide um, what they need. Sometimes it's just good. Sometimes through them, we pay for some groceries and things and occasionally other things, but it's always done through the people on the Kindred Centre. And this week I had a letter and it's from a family, and it says, Thank you. It's written by a child. Dear church, thank you for giving us money to buy some food. Yours sincerely. And sincerely, it's written, uh, as they've said, it's the Baker family. And there was another one written by a family, and it says, Dear church, thank you. So just to let you know that everything you give is well received and always taken where there's a need. Uh, it's interesting I'm going to share this morning Angie doesn't kind of know often when I'm preaching I don't even know myself sometimes <laughs> so uh, it just fits in all that we've heard about wars and uh, a generation coming in so it just fits in so well tonight this morning uh, if we go to Joshua chapter 3 by the way I, I've got my watch I've got my Cambodia remember I said about that my Cambodia Rolex watch back and it's actually working again, so that's... I took it to the watch repairer guy, and when I showed him, he laughed, actually. He laughed. He just couldn't stop laughing. He says, he says Rolex on the inside. He says, Rolex on the outside, but China in the inside. So, uh, uh, so still going there. Okay, Joshua chapter 3. Uh, just a little bit, we've been looking at Joshua, and those went there last week, we looked at the book of Joshua, and... I think I shared last week, the, the name Joshua means God is my salvation. How many know what the name Joshua, uh, the word, the Greek name for Joshua is Jesus. That one, the fire, just love that. So he's a great picture of Jesus. In fact, I don't know if you realise this, but Joshua had his name changed. His name was originally, as you read in Exodus, his name was Ashia. Uh, God changed his name from Yeshia to Joshua. Yeshia means salvation. Joshua means God is my salvation. So actually God put his name in his name. that good? I, I just was blessed by that anyway. Uh, anyway, Joshua chapter 3. We're talking, we're going to go through a little bit different aspects of Joshua. But I just want to maybe launch this morning from the crossing of the Jordan. <clears throat> Touched on a little bit last week. Uh, but look, Joshua chapter 3 verse 15. And those who bore the ark came to Jordan. And the feet of the priests who bore the ark dipped in the edge of the water. For the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest. That the waters which came down from upstream stood and rose in a heap far away. At Adam the city that is beside Zaratum. So the waters were down to the sea of Arabal, the salt sea failed. 
and were cut off and the people crossed over opposite the Jericho. I kind of love that story. Because uh, what took place was this. But notice this, that it says the waters were in flood. I don't know if you realise that with the Jordan River at different times of the year, there's different heights to it. And this was the highest point. This was the, the time of the year where the river was the highest point. They say, actually, it was, usually, it was about a mile wide at this point. And that's the time that God said, that's the time you need to cross. Isn't that amazing? Not when it's a little stream where you could paddle through, but when he says, and we found that in the Christian life. Sometimes God doesn't wait till it's easy. He waits sometimes till the situation is actually impossible. Haven't you found that? Because if you could do it in your own power and strength, then you wouldn't need a miracle. Is that right? Is that true? So actually, God brings you to a point where you need a miracle. Am I a bit high there? Still need to be turned down? So it's my low voice probably. Okay, so here's the point. It says when they got to the Jordan, the, the priests who were carrying the ark, get a picture, they've got the ark on their shoulders, they had to put their foot into the river. It didn't part before they got there. You're actually parted when they put their foot in the river. This is where I found in my Christian life. God will always require often a step of faith before he comes into a situation. God will always require a step of faith. So, when you, so whatever God has called you, he will always require something of a step of faith. Have you ever found that? But, for example, if I want to see someone say, for example, maybe my step of faith is to invite them to church. If I want to see someone healed, and Jackie was mentioning this earlier, maybe I need to go and lay hands on the sick. If I want to see the promises of God fulfilled in my life, then God will often require a step of faith. Did you notice when Jesus healed people, he always required a step of faith? For some, he was like, he said to the, the man whose hand was withered, it's withered, he can't move it. Word wizard means he's powerless, he can't move. Because what, Jesus did, what did Jesus say to a man who had a powerless arm? What did he say to him? Stretch out your arm. He said to the man who was a paralytic, what's a paralytic? He can't walk. Stand up. You know what I'm saying? But he always required a step of faith. And when people responded to the step of faith, Jesus always brought about a miracle. Isn't that wonderful? And you'll find that the promise God has given you will always require you to take some step of faith. This morning, people's step of faith was to come forward. That's a step of faith, and that's wonderful. God often will require something that is a step of faith. We're talking about, we talk about the promised land as being something where we enter into the promises of God. What about this a promise there? Cast all your cares on him. So, really, if I want... God, to, cast, to carry my cares, my action is that I, I cast the cares on him. In other words, I'm going to cast it on him and I'm not going to keep worrying about it day after day after day because I'm casting upon him. And that's my act of faith. I can't say, Lord, I'm giving you my cares as an act of faith and tomorrow I'm still worrying about the same problem because I've not acted in faith. Is that right? So I've got to cast it on him as obedient as acting in faith. And so the, the priests, firstly, 
had to put their foot, and the moment they put their foot in the river, there's something incredible. That river parted. Now I want to see something which I think is pretty powerful, because this is what it says. It says, the, the, the water, it was in flood. And the reason why it was in flood, says the Bible, was because it was harvest time. And I just love this thought that that for Joshua to be this new generation, I love this thought, it began with a flood. And if you and I are to be that generation, I tell you where it's going to begin. That we need a flood of the Holy Spirit. Jesus puts it this way. Out of your innermost being shall what? Flow floods, rivers of living water. In other words, that God fills you with his spirit to the point that he wants you to have an overflow. In other words, if I'm filled, that's for myself. If I have an overflow, it's an overflow for harvest. It's for somebody else. Is that, can you see that? that when I'm, I'm, I'm overflowing, that when God overflows in your life, people are healed because of the overflow in you. People are touched because of the overflow in you. Ever carried a drink up? Now, I promise you before that and I've I got a weird thing about having my cups of tea. Now, they, they always think, every time I, I make them a cup of tea, that they always say, I, I need a ladder to get to it, because I always do it low down, the tea. If I've made it, you will say, I, 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 it, almost the tide's gone out, that's what they often say. And the reason why that is, that when my mum used to make me a cup of tea years ago, she always used to be used to right to the top. Remember the old cups and saucers? And she used to, by the time I got it, Half of the tea was in the saucer. And so I then kind of developed this idea that I'm not going to fill the cup full. And because I don't fill it full, it doesn't spill over. But when you and I are filled, we are meant to be overflowing, so we spill over. And I think the goal of the Christian life, Joshua began that promised land experience by coming into flood. By beginning in the Spirit, because Jordan is the place of the Spirit. How many realize that? That was the place where Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit. That is the place where Elijah received a double portion, at the Jordan. And Jordan always reflects the Spirit-filled life in the river of the Spirit. How many know that's the place we're meant to be? Paul put it this way, Don't be drunk with wine but be filled with the Spirit. If you look at that in the Greek, it's actually a commandment. Be ye filled. Why did he say don't be drunk? Because often, people look for substitutes. Have you ever seen often what take, takes place? Whenever people have a problem, they always seem to go to the drink cabinet. Have you ever seen that in films? and think, oh, grab a drink. That's how people react to pressures in life. In other words, they have something that they turn to to help them to cope with the pressures and the problems of life. They are false substitutes. The sad thing is, often even as believers, that when we face a crisis, when we face a problem, we often can turn to a false substitute or a false comfort. And Paul's answer to your problem, to your crisis, to your difficult circumstances, be ye filled with the Spirit. Or can I put it in today's language? Have a drink. 
Have a drink. Because if you've got to get filled with the Spirit, that means you've got to drink of the Spirit. So every time you, take a, every time you face a problem and a crisis, have a drink of the Holy Spirit. Get filled with the Spirit. That's your answer to your problem. Don't turn to, to, to things that actually aren't going to help or, or deal with the issue. But be ye filled to overflow with the Spirit. Have you thought to yourself, sometimes it's so difficult to love. Why is it sometimes that I don't have the peace that I should have? Why is it I haven't got the, 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 kind of, the kind of joy that I should be experiencing? Why do I, most of the time, am I so plain miserable? Be ye filled with the Spirit. Because if I'm filled with the Spirit, I produce the character of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience. So, for example, when you're in a queue and you're feeling that impatience rising up, you know what you've got to do? Have another drink. Lord, fill me with your patience right now. When something, when people are, are rise up against you, say, Lord, fill me with your love. Fill me with your joy. Because those things become a natural reaction to be filled with the Spirit. So they crossed over Jordan at the point of flood. Did you know something amazing? This kind of, and I'm going to look at this. It blew my mind, really. Think about this. It says the waters were pushed back to Adam. You notice that? It says that. It says there was a town called And when the waters came, the waters were pushed all the way back to Adam. Adam speaks of the old man, the old nature, the flesh. And the moment you and I get filled with the Spirit and live a life in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit, I'll tell you what's going to happen. Your past life begins always to be pushed back. You'll find all the things of the past, all the things that want to control your life from the past, are always pushed back when the Spirit of God brings you to a place of flood and to harvest. Go to verse 1 on this. I just want to get a hold of this this morning. It says in verse 1 that they rose early in the morning and they set out from Aki Grove. Now, so how many of you have got this kind of word that says, uh, where, where, where it says, Shittai? How many see that? How many have got that in their Bible? I think some have got that. That actual word there, actually, I'm kind of reading this word, it actually means, actually mean it, it was the place originally where Israel went into the flesh. They disobeyed God. And so they left the place of the flesh. It also means wood. So here's what I'm saying, that, that we leave the place of the flesh where the flesh has ruled us and controlled us, and now we come to the Jordan. The spirit-filled, overflowing life. That word actually means wood. Every time you and I achieve something in our own flesh, wherever it may seem spiritual, but if it's done in the flesh, the Bible says it's wood, stay, straw and stubble. And we burnt up. Only that which is done under the power and the anointing of the spirit actually is pleasing to God. And so Joshua had to leave the place of the flesh and come into the place of the Spirit. And he was coming into the place of the Spirit that took him into another dimension. Can you see him in? 
And there's the next thing, and I, I kind of like this part. Joshua 4, 6, because here's what they did. They crossed over, and he says that this may be a sign among you. So verse 4. Then Joshua called 12 men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe, and Joshua said to them, Cross over the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. Each one of you take a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them, that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When he crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and those stones shall be for you a memorial to the children of Israel. I kind of think that's such a, a kind of powerful thing. So, so powerful. Because there's what happened. They had to take a stone, and they took it, and they took it into the promised land. And those stones, were told, were meant to be stones of remembrance. Where they would, every time they looked at the stones, and generations to come, they'd look at those stones, and they would remember, that's where God did an amazing miracle. That's where God did this amazing miracle in my life. A stone of remembrance. Again, I love to sort of look at the different Hebrew words for this. The actual Hebrew word for remembrance is the word for man. Where, where, where the man, if you like, is the vehicle of reproduction. I'll use that word. Here's what I'm saying. That often when we have places of remembrance... They bring about, they reproduce that same miracle in our life. For example, those of you who maybe had a healing today of your back, that's a miracle because that actually produces another seed for someone else to receive a miracle. And I'd encourage you to have almost a remembrance in your mind, to remember the miracles that God has done in your life. Remember times of deliverance. Remember times when God healed you. Remember times when God brought a breakthrough for your life. You have to constantly remember those things. Remember those prophetic words that God spoke to you. I tell you something awesome. Have a book and write down the promises that God gave to you. Write down the, 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 the miracles. Write down the, the words that God has given to you. So when you're facing a difficult circumstance, you can look at that book and remind yourself of the promises that God gave to you. Have a remember. Remember those things. And I think so much of the Bible tells us to remember and not forget the things God has done. And most of our issues can often come because we forget what God did for us. We, for, we forget the healing he did. We forgot that miracle of provision he brought about. We forget that deliverance he brought in our life. And so God says you need to constantly remind yourselves of all the miracles and the amazing things I've done in your life. So the wonderful thing, every time you've got a miracle, that is a stone of remembrance that you can use to produce another miracle in your life. Because if you did it in the past, then the truth is he's going to do it in the future. Is that right? And so I've got to constantly, because the enemy wants you to be a person that forgets. That you lose sight of the miracles you've had in your past, so you don't believe for the miracles for the future. Let me show you a great psalm. Psalm 78. Look what happened when people forget. 
78 verse 11. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in his law, and notice verse 11, and forgot his works and his wonders that he had shown them. Isn't that awesome? That because they forgot the miracles he did, it limited them from entering into the promises he wanted to do in their, in their future, in their present. What's the breaking of bread, really? It's a remembrance. We're reminding ourselves of what Jesus did. And so Jesus understood this. So he said, look, here's something tangible that will enable you not to forget what I did for you. Not to forget the work of the cross. For example, don't forget your testimony. Don't forget what your life was once like. Is that right? Don't forget that and remember where God has brought you from what you were once like. Don't forget your salvation. Because if you forget it, you lose the ability to appreciate it. Don't forget the promises. Don't forget who you are in Christ. You know, we've got something out that I did a few weeks ago. Where's all the verses of all the promises of what it means to be in Christ? Because we need to constantly remind ourselves of who we are in Christ. We need to constantly remind ourselves we're children of God. And we, we can hear sermons about this, but we can so easily forget it. So we've got to constantly remind ourselves on a day-to-day basis of who we are in Christ, lest we forget. I'll tell you something I've learned. I've learned to remember the blessings that obedience brings. If I read, you know, if you read the book of Joshua, you know what? You'll find time and time again this one word, obedience. And God was reminding them that every time you obeyed me, remember the blessings you got. But on the other hand, remember the results of when you disobeyed me. Remember the mess you got yourself into when you disobeyed me, compared to the blessing you got when you did obey me. And I think that's a good remember. How many of us can remember the time we got our fingers burned when we messed up? How many can remember those times? And remember the consequences of sometimes of disobedience actions. How many can remember those things? And so it's good to remember that, but then remember the joy of obedience. Remember the peace of obedience. Remember all the blessings that came as a result of you obeying in a difficult, hard circumstance. So let's constantly be building stones of remembrance for our life. Amen. Now quickly, let's go into the next one, the next part of this, because this is a very interesting one. Now, you're going to like this, Tim. This is the men's meeting, okay? We're going to have a men's meeting. Well, they are, anyway. But I want to tell you, it's not the kind of men's meeting you'd want to go to right here and now, I'll tell you. Because here's the place where they had the men's meeting. It was called the Hill of the Foreskin. So how many would say, right now, I don't want to go to that, that men's meeting? And in Joshua 5, we see this men's meeting... The Joshua Accord, Joshua 5, verse 2. At that time the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourselves and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the heel of foreskin. That would be a good thing. That's a good warning. What's happening right there? Is that right? And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt, who were made all the men of war, died in the wilderness on the way that they had come out of Egypt. 
For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way, they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. So here's the point. That they were, the people, the children who were born in the wilderness were not circumcised. But when they came to battle, when they came into the new land that God was offering them, he says, now, get circumcised. You think for 40 years, if you like, that wasn't an issue. That wasn't really a problem. It was okay, if I put it that way. Now, at this point, now it's not okay. And you'll find your Christian life. Things that may have seemed okay years ago, maybe are not okay right now. Things that we thought seemed to not bother or bother us, the more we go on with God, now they seem to disturb us. In fact, the sign of your maturity and your growing with God is the things that years ago you did and it didn't bother you or disturb you, now all of a sudden you feel kind of disturbed and convicted about it. And that is a wonderful... You know, that's something to rejoice about, is that right? Because before God brings great victory, he always brings great conviction. Great conviction prepares for great victory. Why is that? Because if we are to deliver people, we ourselves have got to be free. Is that right? How can I free, from, how can I free somebody else from something that I'm not free from myself? How can I preach a gospel of liberty if I'm bound myself? How can I set people free if I'm bound? How can I preach a gospel as powerful with a life that's not very powerful. How can I tell people about the peace and the joy that Jesus brings if I've not got it myself? And we can see that. And so God says, you have to kind of, I want you to get to a point where you're in that place of liberty and freedom so that you can now win the battle. Because listen, the issues in our life often are the very things that stop us coming into the victory and the promises that God wants to have for us. Is that right? The word circumcision actually means a place, really, it means a separation. The Hebrews were, were circumcised to show they were separated. They were the people of God. I think, in, I feel with all my heart, really, one of the things God's working in the hearts of people today is bringing us into a place of, of, of separation. A place, can I put it this way, of Holiness, that's what holiness means. It means to be separate. It means to be different. And the big call of God in these days, if we were to know the power of God, then we're going to come into the place of separation. Where we, we're, not, we're in the world, but we're not of it. We're separated from things in our life that are affecting the power of God flowing in us. The New Testament word for it really is the word sanctification. And often people have this idea that it's all something legalistic and there's all kinds of rules and regulations. I think true sanctification is something of the heart. Proverbs 3 says, Guard your heart because from it flow out all the issues of life. Is that right? That word guard means keep, guard it. Often in the Bible, the word heart speaks of your emotions speaks of the centre of your will. It speaks of, of your thoughts. 
It, it covers a whole range of your soul life. And the proverb says, guard that stuff. Because what you let in actually is going to have an effect on your life. Jesus says, the problem is, it's not what goes, what, 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 what a man takes into himself, this of food. It's actually, he says, it's what's already in him. Out of the abundance of the heart, if you like. So here's the point. What I let, what I let into my life eventually begins to affect what comes out of my life. For example, if I let bitterness into my heart, and I don't guard myself against it, and I let resentment, and I let offense to get into my heart, you know what's going to happen? In some way, it's going to come out. It's going to affect the way I talk. It's going to affect the way I think. It's going to affect the way I relate to people. It's impossible to allow wrong things into my life And at some point, it's not going to have an effect on other areas of my life. So the Bible says, guard that. Let me show you a verse. 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Let's look at a couple. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. You know what? We think sometimes, I used to think this myself, that the, the early church was amazing. You know, they never had a problem. Oh, we want to be like the early church. Have you read the letters? <laughs> Have you read Corinthians, for example? How many realise they had massive, massive issues? Is that right? Massive problems. And they had massive issues. And Paul's addressing some of the issues that the Corinthian church had. Some really, 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 really difficult immoral problems and all kinds of stuff going on. And so this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11. He's saying, and some of you, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of the Lord. What he's basically saying is this. He says, look, you can't live the way the rest of the world lives because you're different. You've been set apart. You've been, you've been washed by the blood. So how can you live like everybody else lives when you've been set apart? It's a total contradiction of who you are. Is that right? So he says, you've been sanctified. You've been washed. So don't live like the rest of the world. 2 Corinthians 5.14 because I think there's some things because you often hear messages about holiness and sanctification and it's very legalistic, you know, about what you wear and you know, all kinds of... How many have ever been in those environments where it's very legalistic about what you wear and all kinds of rules and regulations. The Bible never teaches that kind of Christian life. The Bible gives reasons and motivations from the heart of why you want to live a life that's set apart for Jesus. Amen. And there's one reason that he tells us to do it. It says 2 Corinthians 5.14. It says, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then we all just this beautiful picture that word there that actual word there means that word constrained means to tightly hold so that one can't escape isn't that beautiful that the love of Jesus so holds me so tightly I just don't want to do anything that displeases him amen I'm just so loved by him and I'm just so filled with his love his love has just got such a grip on me it's such a tight grip 
I don't want to do anything that would, any, would kind of separate me from that love. That love has just completely constrained me, got a completely grip on me. So that's the first thing. The love of Jesus just so fills your heart. You're so constrained. You're so taken over by love. All you want to do is live for him and please him. Amen. That's the true sense. It's just saying, Lord Jesus, I don't want anything in me that displeases you. I just want to please you because your love has just got such a tight grip on me. I think the next scripture, really, we haven't got time to go into it, but Paul says this. He says, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And I think something in our heart needs to get a grip and says, Lord, today, I don't belong to me. I belong to you. I think that's a great motivation to know that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. And whatever you go, you carry the very presence of the Most High God. Amen. What an awesome thing just to know that. And you just want to live a life that, that honors that, that respects that. I'm a temple. I'm a, I've got the Holy Ghost living within me. I'm his property. I belong to him. And so I'm only doing what, what he wants me to do because I'm his property. I'm not mine. I belong to him. And those are the kind of motivations that bring us to live a life that says, God, it's all yours. Fully given to you. Fully consecrated to you, God. Separated unto you. Now, the next thing I'm going through is as quick as I can. Because then it says in, I think it's verse 16 of chapter 5, it says something like that. I think it's that. Sorry, verse 12. Oh, no. Something else, I just remembered. Verse, go to verse 13. I, I like this one. You can't, I can't forget this. I can't leave this out because this is so cool. Joshua 5.13. Oh, my God. I can't believe the time. Where does time go? Oh, I haven't even got to Jericho yet. I wanted to get to Jericho. <laughs> I'm so, I wanted to get to Jericho. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, look at this one. Colossians 5, uh, Joshua 5.13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for your adversaries? He says, No. But as a commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face on, on the earth and worshipped him and said to him, What does my Lord, the servant, the commander of the Lord's army, said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you are standing is holy. I kind of love that. And I, don't know you, I, see the, I kind of actually see the kind of funny side of that, because... He comes to him and says, are you for us or against us? He says, no. I mean, it's like me saying, who, who are you playing for? Are you playing for us or are you playing for them? And you say, no. It's almost not an answer, is it? No. What God is saying, he says, you are not going to dictate to me who's side, because actually, it, this is me. This is, you are fighting my battle. You are, you're not fighting my battle. Sorry, you are fighting my battle. I am fighting your battle. You're not fighting mine. That's the best way to describe it. So I'm the commander. I'm in charge. And I think there's five words. Never lose sight of these five words. The battle is not yours. The battle is mine. And sometimes you've got to get that down in your heart. The battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. And that's the one thought, that's the vision that God wanted to impart to Joshua's heart. Joshua, you are involved in this battle but the battle is not yours. The battle is mine. And I think that's an amazing release to know that. The battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. If that's the case, what are you doing fighting it? Because we need to learn to allow 
God to fight our battles. The battle is not yours, the battle is mine, says the Lord. Isn't that a powerful thing? For example, when someone, you know, someone's causing you problems, instead of reacting to try to deal with it yourself, when I say, Lord, today, I just give that to you. Because the battle is not mine, the battle is yours. Maybe there's some crisis you're fighting, you're facing right now. Why not say to yourself, Lord, that crisis is your battle, that's not mine. I'm giving it to you. That difficult circumstance, I'm giving it to you because I'm not going to fight it. The battle is not mine, the battle is yours. What a relief, isn't that a great relief? It stops all the striving, all the struggling, all the kind of trying to work it out, manipulating, controlling. You let go of it and say, Lord, I'll do all that you require of me to do. The rest I give to you because this isn't my battle. It is yours. And I think the moment you do that, I found, when I suddenly realised that, it's almost like a weight just got lifted off me. All the struggling, all the striving just kind of lifts. And suddenly the peace comes. The joy comes. The strength comes. Because I say, Lord, thank you. Whatever I'm facing now, this is your battle, it's not mine. Isn't that a great release? And so God reminds them the battle is not yours. The battle is mine. And just remind that. Lord, I trust you right now. I'm trusting you with that problem. I'm trusting you with that crisis. I'm trusting you with that circumstance. I give it to you. Because the battle's not mine. The battle is yours. Awesome. I love it. Let me just close with this. and So much more about the manner. Let me just read one verse about Jericho. I can't leave without Jericho, can I? I've got to, I've got to somehow get to Jericho. Let me just give you one verse and we'll close with this. And I'll maybe come back to Jericho next time. But look what it says about Jericho. Verse 1. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And I just love this second verse. Remember I said the battle is the Lord's and I said that? And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. It's king and the mighty man of valor. I love it. You know, archaeologists, how many realize that, you know, archaeologists have found Jericho. You know, awesome. They've actually found Jericho. And, and they found that when archaeologists found Jericho, they found it was something happened sudden, and the walls came down just on one side. And then awesome, they found it. The actual archaeologists found it. Now, I want you to get a picture of what Jericho was like. Archaeologists reckon that the wall was 15 feet high. Okay? And once you got over that wall, you went right down a kind of drop, and then there was also a second wall that was also 15 feet high. So we just see that if you looked at it naturally, you'd look at that, and it was a fortified place, never been beaten, never been defeated, so you'd look at it and thinking, wow, that's impossible. How on earth is that ever? How are we going to do that? And it says that it was fortified and totally closed up. And I'm just wondering this one. Let me close with this. Maybe right now you feel that you have an impossible enemy. Something that you've lived with for a long time. Something that seems fortified. Something that kind of stares at you. Is that someone's alarm going there? Never mind. I'll close with this, honestly. Just something that you've kind of lived with with such a... Shut up! Uh, 
stuff that you've kind of lived with for a long time and you just can't seem to get a victory over it. I'm not going to get anywhere with that, am I really? Is that yours, Laurie, is it? It's yours. Oh, we're going to get you afterwards, I tell you. Let's stand, shall we? I'm with oh, stop. Oh, you stopped. Okay, let me cl- I can still close it. <laughs> Forget where I was now. Okay. Maybe something you've looked at, you say, what? That problem, that obstacle has been in my life for so long. Might be a loved one. That you've prayed over them and there doesn't seem to be any change. Could be something in your family, in your marriage. Something that, that really almost stares at you and says back to you, I'm never going to change. Could be something in your own life. And you look at it and you think, you know what, I've been like that for years and years and years. It's as if it's never going to change. And I want to encourage you this morning to the Lord wants to say to you, that fortified wall, that's something that, that you feel can't change. God says, I'm going to change it. I'm going to allow the walls of that circumstance, the walls that seems unchangeable, I'm going to, pull. those things are going to come down. And you're going to enter into what I've called you to enter into. It may be fortified, it may seem impossible, but today I'm giving Jericho into your hands. Why? The battle is not yours, the battle is mine. And you think about this, he said, I've given Jericho, I've given it to you. Jesus has already won. All we do is enforce the victory that Jesus has already won on the cross. That's all we do. We're not trying to get the victory. We're actually coming from victory. He's already done it. He's already won the victory. He's already achieved it. He's already done it. We just enforce by, 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 by his word and by faith, we believe Jericho has already been given to us. we just got to go and take it. Amen. And next time we're going to look at how we do do that. So let's stand, shall we? Let's come before the Lord right now. No more car alarms going off there. <laughs> oh, just lift your hands to the Lord right now. Say, Lord, today, thank you that you've given me Jericho. Whatever your Jericho is this morning, whatever, whatever stares at you, whatever somehow looks at you and seems unmovable, unshakable, a problem that you've had for many, many years, a circumstance that seems unchangeable, unmovable. And the word of the Lord to you this morning is I've given Jericho into your hands. It's yours. Just believe it, just receive it, and just take it. Could be in the realm of healing. Could be in the realm of provision. Could be in the realm of a breakthrough. Whatever that Jericho is right now. Something that you've struggled with, maybe for many, many years. And the Lord today just writes on your heart I've given Jericho into your hands it's yours refuse to live with unchanging situations believe he's given it into your hands today say Lord today I receive it just in a few moments say Lord right now I receive it right now I receive that change I receive that transformation I receive that the healing, the miracle the breakthrough, the salvation I receive it right now you've given it into my hands Lord, we lift our hands to you right now, Lord. We receive our Jerichos today. Lord, I pray for breakthrough. 
I pray for, for, for your, miracle, your miracle working power to come into those situations, Lord. And we command the walls to come down, Lord. We come against the walls that would stand before us today and tell us it's impossible. Walls that would remind us and tell us that, Lord, this is an unchangeable situation. It cannot be changed. And we know the words of the enemy would try to taunt us, would try to, would try to disappoint us, try to discourage us, Lord. But today we thank you that we remind ourselves that you have placed Jericho into our hands, Lord. And we thank you for every promise that you're giving. We thank you for every breakthrough. We thank you for every healing. We thank you for every miracle. We thank you for every lost one that is going to come to you right now. Because we believe that Lord Jericho has been given into our hands. And we give you all the praise. And we command those walls right now. Whatever is resisting that area. Whatever is holding back what you want to do. We call those walls. We pull those walls right down now. In the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elam Church. For more downloads or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk.